But I want to ask the question um, of you this morning. What causes you to change? What causes us to change um, most easily? Um, Change is hard. Um, In fact, that's something that I regularly talk about with people who are walking through transitions in life. Transitions like, um, you know, dealing with an illness or um, becoming a a widow or a widower or uh, kids growing up and kids moving into new stages of life and changing life around us. Uh, Certainly as students, and we have plenty of students in the room as you get older and your life transforms with uh, more and more responsibility and becoming more and more an adult. All these sorts of changes happen in our lives. Um, What causes you best to change? I'll I'll tell you mine. My my best means of change, change, unfortunately, is to get knocked onto my back down as low as I can possibly go. And then I change. For some reason, and you will be surprised by this, I'm a stubborn person. How many of you are stubborn? A lot of us. And those of us who are stubborn certainly understand best that we change not because of things being good or not because things are easy, but in fact, when there's times when all of a sudden we're knocked down, And in fact, at the lowest of the low, then change can happen. This morning, as we dig into the book of Acts, we see the lowest of the low for Paul. To the point that his life is changed with blindness for three days. In fact, he doesn't eat or drink anything. He just sits there and wallows in being at the bottom of the bottom where God meets him. As we dig into what God taught Paul and what God teaches us this morning, let's pray for his blessing, his presence, and his power among us. Father, meet us through the power of your word. Remind us of what it means to hear your voice and respond to it in the same way that Paul and Ananias did. May we hear the ways that you call to us. And may it not need to be in ways that put us on our back for three days, blind and silent. Instead, Lord, move in our hearts this morning. Allow us to hear your voice in such a way that our hearts are changed, our hearts are moved, that we are more and more transformed into the people that you long for us to be. Equip us, Father, with ears to hear, eyes to see. So that as you lead in our lives, Lord, we may follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 9. And the first 19 verses there. And we'll begin with the first six verses this morning. And it says this there. Meanwhile, and meanwhile is... um, just after this story of Philip, Philip in the um, uh, Philip is is a part of God's work in Samaria, and they deal with Simon the Sorcerer. I preached a sermon on Simon the Sorcerer about three or four months ago. There's all this stuff going on in the church, but the church is being persecuted. It's being persecuted most um, notably by Paul. Saul at the time. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, 
so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way was the name for Christianity following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. So this, this story takes place in the context of, um, if remember, go back to Acts, uh, the beginning of Acts, Acts 1, 2, 3, you're going to see the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the church begins to grow, and you see Peter and the other disciples in the temple teaching and and. Christianity is growing, and then suddenly things are getting bad. Stephen ends up being killed and stoned for the faith because he's living into the gospel in powerful ways and proclaiming who Jesus is. And the the disciples uh, and and all the believers are spreading out, and the Jewish leaders centered in Jerusalem are trying to track down all these Christians and stop them from living into the proclamation of the gospel. And Saul is at the top of that list of persecutors. He's part of Jewish leadership. He's, in fact, elsewhere in the text, he's going to tell you all about all the different things that are true about himself. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. He's a part of the structure. And so he's living into, actually, through his persecution of Christianity, he's living in obedience to God. Because if you know Jewish law, when people proclaim things that are against God's law or extra to God's law, then they need to be dealt with. They need to be disciplined. It is heresy to teach that there is another way to God except Jewish law in the Old Testament. And people who are Christians and followers of Jesus are proclaiming something outside of that Old Testament law. So Paul, in his passion for his Jewishness and his old love of Old Testament law, is being obedient by chasing these people down and persecuting them and throwing them into prison. He's a passionate guy. He's a person who lives into what he believes. The problem is, is his belief is off. And we see in this activity of God meeting him on the road to Damascus. First of all, that is a long journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. Damascus would be north and east of Jerusalem, at least several days journey, probably more closer to a week it would take for Paul to journey to Damascus. So he's really committed to this process of persecution. He's on this road and you can imagine him and the people around him talking about things that they've already done to persecute the church and now things that they are going to do to persecute the church in Damascus and God meets him and God knocks him down and God gets him as low as we see Paul's life get in that moment because all of a sudden all of his passion all the things that he was committed to and believed in are gone because the one who he is persecuting is the exact one who calls his name It says here in the text, it was Jesus who called to Saul. And in fact, if your Bible is a red letter edition, you will see Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me in red letters? Because those are words of Christ. Saul is persecuting Christ 
and suddenly God's meet him and his life is at a standstill. Verses 7 through 9. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. And you see this whole thing just, it stops him in his tracks. And you notice even his question. His question is, who are you, Lord? And if you hear that question for really what it is, it's not a question just as asking an identity. He's not just saying, who is doing this to me? He's, this is a much bigger question than that. In this moment, all of a sudden being confronted with the living God, he's asking that question of his whole life. I believe in you. I believe in you, Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God. I believe in all of this Jewishness. But if this is who you are, I don't know who you are. And suddenly my identity, Saul's identity, is at risk. Who are you, Lord? In essence, he's asking, who am I in light of who you are? That's the sort of thing that knocks you on your butt. That's the sort of thing that puts you in a place where for three days you're blind and you don't eat or drink anything. And some of you know those moments. Maybe they didn't come through some sort of spiritual conflict. Maybe it came through a relational one. I want a divorce. You've got cancer. He died. She died. And suddenly we're in that place where we're not even sure who we are anymore. What's our identity in terms of who God is? Can we trust in a God in this place where all of a sudden everything is up in the air and everything is loose and everything is broken and nothing makes sense anymore? Paul's in that place, but we know that place too. I know that place. And it's a challenging place because what is it that you learn in those moments? How do you deal with those moments? I can remember various times having my eyes clouding, clouded with tears and I'm screaming out or calling out to God, what is it you want from me? And you can imagine that that's Paul's place in the silence of three days. I thought I was doing what it was that you wanted me to do. And now I'm not even sure anymore who you are. I thought you were good. But you knocked me and knocked me down and I can't see. We have those moments in our lives. And what is it that we learn from who God is? What do we do when we're stopped in our tracks? What do we do when the hard thing happens to us? Do we turn to friends? Do we, you know, isolate ourselves? And, and some of you can describe that. Maybe you can describe that even for the person that you're with. Kristen can tell you, when something knocks me down, she knows how I behave. She knows those moments. And those are hard moments for us as a couple. And you know those hard moments in your family, in your relationships, and for yourself. What is it that you do? And sometimes the hardest part is you don't know what to do. You have no idea what to do next. Where do I go in the Bible to hear what, what it is that I'm supposed to be doing here? 
Where is the truth? Where is the way? Where is the light? What is it that can encourage and comfort me? Some of you are in those moments now. What is it that you do when you get knocked down? Well, you know what Paul did? And maybe he was just forced to do it because he was blind. He just sat and he waited. He waited. I read this this verse with someone this week. You probably heard it before. It's from Psalm 46. And it's that verse in Psalm 46 that says, Be still and... Be still and... Know that I am God. In this moment, in a sense, that's exactly what Paul is doing. But if you know Psalm 46 well, then you know Psalm 46, those words of be still and know that I am God, doesn't come in this pastoral psalm where David describes the beauty of nature and the mountains and the trees and the streams. In fact, Psalm 46 is a psalm where God... God calls David to be still when everything is a mess. That's exactly where he says, God makes warfare cease. God breaks the sword and the shield. Look at the destruction even that God has done. And then all of a sudden you get, be still and know that I am God. Being still is not something, go on a hike, find the quiet place. Be still means in the chaos, find a spot to hear God speak to you. In the craziness, anyone getting ready for craziness? We're in the last week of November. It's on, right? Get ready, 120 miles an hour for the next six weeks at least. Don't go to Target. Are you crazy? We're in the chaos. But we're also in the other chaos. Some of you are in relationships. that You're not sure what's going on. Some of you, your kids or your parents or things are changing and transforming. You're not sure where you are. Be still and know he is God in the midst of all the craziness. That's what Saul does. And God meets him in his being stillness in a powerful, transformative way. Verses 10 through 16. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Listen to this verse. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, in essence, this story from Psalm chapter 9 is the story of two callings. 
First of all, we hear the calling of Paul. And calling, the calling of Paul is out of disobedience to God's call in the Holy Spirit, in the, in the new covenant of who Jesus Christ is. And in order for Saul to be moved out of that, he needs to be knocked on his back. He needs to be blinded. He needs to be still and know that he is God for three days. And listen, so he can, re, un, or he can gain understanding of who God really is. But the second calling is Ananias. We see Ananias receiving a calling from God, but what's interesting about Ananias is his call is out of reluctance, and it makes sense why he's reluctant. Ananias is really, he's one of those Jews who says, if there's people getting thrown in jail, I would prefer not to be one of them. And instead of, uh, of God saying, flee, go to the hills, get away from this Saul guy, God says to Ananias, go and hang out with him. Now, that doesn't sound like a fun thing if this is a person. You have heard he's thrown women and children and men into prison. He doesn't care. He's committed to being Jewish. And I'm, I'm a follower of the way. There's no way I'm going to go hang out with this guy. And, and yet, out of that reluctance, God calls him to go. God calls him to go and, and, and comfort him, encourage him. In fact, he calls him to disciple Saul into who God really is. He can be somebody who answers that question for Saul, who are you, Lord? Ananias has the opportunity, like our vision, put God on display in such a way that clarity comes to Saul in redefining who this God that he serves is. Now look at that verse 16. Look at what it says. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a call. That's a call of Saul that God puts on him. How many of you want to be called now? Go and suffer. Go and live in the hard stuff. Now, I, I, I agree with Jack. This is a wonderful calling that we have as pastors. But there's times when it's not easy, is it, Jack? It's hard sometimes. It's challenging. And if you, Jack may not agree, I get, guarantee you his wife will. This is a hard calling. And you have a hard calling sometimes. Because it means that God calls you into places where you have to suffer. If you wonder about that, how many of you got kids? Suffering, right? Hard stuff. Times that there's brokenness in our parenting. Brokenness in our kids. And those are the ones who can make us weep the most and pray the hardest because of the suffering. And yet it's a calling of God. How many of you are married? There's a lot of great things, but still there's suffering. There's challenges. How many of you, how, how many of you have people that you know, you, you know they don't follow Jesus and you long for them to follow Jesus, you're praying for them, talking to them, and you know God has called you to share Jesus with them? How many of you got people like that in your life? Maybe it's a kid or a grandkid. Suffering. Part of God's calling on all of our lives is to a life of challenge and suffering. That's part of it. Just let's accept that from the beginning. 
Because in the same way that Christ suffered so that we might experience the fullness of grace. And, and, and in that suffering, it was shaped and formed in such a way that it gained power in our lives. Our suffering allows God's power to grow in us. One of the most amazing things about Paul is besides Moses and perhaps David, he wrote the most of this book. And in terms of theology, he is the most theologically heavy writer in this book. And yet if you read his story, if you look at the story of Paul in the book of Acts and otherwise, you're going to find that of all folks, he might have suffered the most. Shipwrecked persecuted. He was left for dead, stoned, beaten, put in prison, ultimately died in prison. This was a person who God called to great suffering, and yet I'm not sure that there is a greater evangelist or missionary in the history of the church besides Paul. Besides Paul. For the simple reason that in his suffering there was power. In our suffering, There is power that then equips the gospel to go out and be put on display. Because when it's hard, the world looks at us and wonders if we're bought in. Do you really believe in this God that has called you now to suffer? And if your answer is yes, that has power in the world around you to show and display the power of God that equips you with strength and courage perseverance, and a hope despite the fact that things are hard. Let's finish the passage. Verses 17 through 19. When Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias' words to Paul, to Saul, were simply about truth and clarity. Which when you're blind, not just physically, but also spiritually, truth and clarity make all the difference in the world. This is about Jesus, Saul. You've been been loving God and persecuting Jesus. Now love Jesus and live and proclaim the name Jesus. And all of a sudden the scales fall off. The clarity of Ananias' message made all the difference. And you'll notice, and this is beautiful, and this is a lesson for all of us. Paul doesn't argue. And that's significant Because what does Paul do in all of his other letters? He argues. The book book of, of Galatians is an argument, a constructive, godly, theological argument with the whole church of Galatians. First and second Corinthians. Those are books where Paul is debating with them and giving them truth and challenging their ideas. Paul over and over again challenges what others think. But in this moment, he simply closes his mouth and listens to God's call. And friends, what does that teach us to do sometimes? What'd you say? Say it loud. Shut your mouth. mouth. (laughs) And heed God's call. 
Because we do a good job of opening our mouth and challenging, oh, but God. We have all those cards out there in the foyer. There's a calling of God for some of you to grab a whole bunch of those cards and to spend one one afternoon walking your cul-de-sac and simply saying, hey, I have a card for you. Is there any way I can pray for you? Have a nice day. That's all you got to say. Here's a card for you. Is there any way I can pray for you? Have a nice day. But here's what we do. I've gone to them before. They're not going to take my card. We open our mouth, and we don't listen to God's call. That there are people in your family, in your workplace, that God is calling you during this season, during this time in your life, to live into putting God's love on display into their world, and you and I, what do we do? But God, but God, we argue and challenge and wonder if we can get out of it, and God simply says, Be still and silent and know that I am God and trust that if I call you to do something, I'm going to equip you to do it. God's calling of Paul was preparation. One of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what is God preparing us for? What is he preparing you for this season? That's what Advent is. It's a time of preparation. That's what we call it. Advent, preparing for the coming of the incarnate Messiah. And during this season of Advent, what is God in his preparation doing in you to equip you to be a part of his kingdom work? Christmas is coming. If there is ever a time that it's easier to talk about Jesus and talk about church and talk about the kingdom of God. This is the season. But it takes courage. It takes us being willing to be still, be quiet, don't argue, listen to the call, and then as he needs, we speak. We have to have the courage to do it. It's a challenge to do it. We may get rejected. We may have to, what's the word that he uses for Paul? Suffer to do it. But in that suffering, God's glory comes even greater. Not only in us, but through us. As the world hears more about who the Messiah really is. Paul is a man who is willing to live into the truth of this last song. He will shout it. He will tell it to the masses. He will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we sing this last song, ask the question, is God preparing you to do exactly that in some place, some space, sometime, right now? Let's pray. Lord, we hear in the call of Paul, From Saul to Paul, we hear, Lord, that you call us to suffer. That you call us to challenge. That you call us to hard places. And even hearing Paul's calling, we understand that his journey was difficult. Perhaps ours will be too. But Lord, in the same way that you beautifully met Saul over and over and over again, sustained him in prison, 
equipped him when it was hard to speak and there were others who disagreed with him. In the same way that you inspired him to go to new places. And when he came there, had the courage to speak. Lord, whatever it is that you're calling to us, equip us with that same spirit that we have what we need when we get there. May we have courage. May we also have the wisdom to be still, know that you are God, to be silent to your calling. And listen what it is that you're calling us towards, that as we move towards it, we can do so. Trusting in you every step of the way. We're not going to trust in ourselves. We can't do it. The grace of Christ is what equips us to it. May we trust in that because it's never failed us yet. Lord, we pray all these things in that name of Christ. Amen.